Thank you, Jim. <clears throat> very nice. Wasn't that very nice? <clears throat> so on the way over here, I was thinking that, you know, Francis is out of the country. I believe he's in Brazil. And so I started to think, gee, you know, he's either got a lot of confidence in me, you know, that's one option, or he didn't want to be here when I was speaking <laughs> to feel the complaints. So hopefully it's the first option. Uh, <clears throat> this is neat. This is a great, what a great church, what a great pastor we have. And uh, I'm very honored and blessed to share. Uh, <clears throat> Jim changed the service around. And uh, in the first service, he played a song, and I came up and I just I said, gosh, I can't do what I was going to do. I got to do something different. So anyway, now we're back to the, the way I thought it was going to be. Um, <clears throat> would you mind if I told you a grandchild story? Would it matter if you said that you did mind? <clears throat> when you're a grandpa, you get to tell grandpa, grandchild stories. So uh, I'm going to tell you two this today. So the other day, uh, we, have, we have six grandchildren, and the oldest is four and a half. And it's quite a, quite a lot of fun when they all come to the house together. But this time, my wife had two of the girls, and they're so cute. The one has long, you know, this curly hair, and the other one is like three, and she's got red hair, and she's just a spitfire. And... Uh, my wife and I had three sons, so, you know, having girls is just, you know, my wife is totally out of control, by the way. She's, <clears throat> these girls are just uh, dressed to the hilt. So the little one, she didn't get a good night's sleep the day before she came to the house. And so she wasn't having such a good day. And so finally, it was time for some discipline. So my wife said, Selah, you go over there, we're going to get a spanking. And... Uh, so she started to cry, get all upset, and so my wife says, do you know what you're going to get a spanking for? And she says, she says, yes. She says, I had a bad attitude, and I was, I was mean to my sister, but I'm going to take my spanking with honor. <laughs> Praise God for that little sweet thing. <clears throat> And uh, then, I, then about, I don't know how long ago, it was probably about nine months ago, maybe even longer, we had one of the girls. And, you know, when you have, you grow up with boys, and then your sons get married, and now you have daughter-in-laws. It's a whole different, it's like a whole different thing, daughter-in-laws. So, you know, the thought of the, my daughter-in-law allowing me to have her little girl by myself you know, she, she knows me, she loves me, she thinks I'm... In fact, she often tells me that I'm her, her favorite father-in-law. And, um, <clears throat> but still, you know, it's there's some you know, risk, you know, really familiar. So I think she's a little nervous, you know, not sure how I would do. And, but I was, you know, I spent a lot of time with my, my boys, you know, other than some plumbing differences there. You know, I'm thinking this should be the same. And uh, so we go out, and me and this little, I don't even know if she was three yet, and, and we did some errands, and, and I took her out to lunch. I took her to a really fancy restaurant, took her to Carl's Jr. And, uh, and then uh, I had a great idea. Let's go to the car wash 
and I get to go to drive-through car wash. You know, I think that's fun. Maybe she'll like it. <clears throat> Looking around in the car, you know, wondering what was going on. And uh, so, so uh, when she was done with lunch, she wanted to take her milk home with her. And so, you know, I'm thinking, two-and-a-half-year-old in the back seat with an open thing of milk, you know, not a good idea, right? Right, okay, thank you. So, so I took it up and put it in the little, you know, coffee cup holder in my car. And so we have fun, and we get home, and I pull the car into the garage, feeling really good about myself, you know, I did great. You know, no bumps and bruises, no stains on her dress, and no accidents. And, and so we're sitting in the, in the garage, and, and I had her come up to the front, and she's pushing all the buttons and, you know, having fun sitting in the driver's seat. And so then it's time to take her in the house. So I got the backpack, and I got the leftovers. And so I get her out of the car, and, I'm, and I go to set the, the leftover milk on top of the car, and one of the buttons she was playing with was the sunroof. So I just <laughs> dropped the milk down. Ah, <laughs> oh, grandkids. Grandkids. Well, we're going to talk about <clears throat> some neat things this morning. But before we get started, I, I want... I want you to know just a few things about myself. My testimony is pretty dramatic, and it's very, very hard for me to control myself and not share some of the way Jesus got a hold of my life. I was born and raised in a Jewish family in New York. And uh, in fact, my mother is sitting in the front row. She's going to turn 90 in August, and she hasn't given her life to the Lord yet. She's waiting to hear a really good sermon. So I, I told her if she comes this morning, maybe this will be the day. And uh, uh, being raised in a Jewish family, uh, growing up in New York, I then um, became a hippie like the vast majority of the other people that grew up in the 60s. And my hair got really long, and I started to not only experiment with drugs, but get heavily involved in drugs. And, and as a, after graduating high school, I, I had no direction in life. I mean, life for me was just empty. It was just the pursuit of, you know, having a good time. And if you would have looked at me, you know, you would have said, you know, gosh, he looks okay in terms of his countenance. He doesn't look like he's depressed or sad or, you know, or inside or empty because on the outside... You know, you saw this smiling face. But on the inside, there was nothing going on in my life. Nothing of any value. Nothing of any substance. And uh, so maybe to get a better picture of that, you guys need to see. I just got a couple little shots I wanted to show you of uh, who Francis is having speak this morning. <laughs> That shot is, by the way, my business partner. We have two own very large companies, so we're both corporate executives, as you can tell from that picture. <laughs> Why don't you show the other, the other 
three as well. I didn't do this in the first service. That's my wife and I when we got married at 20 and 18. Next one is our kids and their wives. Two of the couples come to church here at Cornerstone. And, uh, and then there's our, our crowd. <clears throat> How come you didn't do that when you saw my picture? I don't... <clears throat> so this morning we're going to talk about we're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about what's going on around us. And I've got some stories that I want to tell you and some verses of scripture. I see Bibles scattered around the church. <clears throat> I guess it's different than going to a baseball game. Once the team went into the field, you know that everyone on the field would have their gloves. But for some reason, we don't, not all of us have brought our Bibles. I, I encourage you to do that. And uh, because the scripture is, is it's history recorded, it's God's dealings with man and some of the greatest human beings that ever lived and some of the most amazing sets of circumstance are found in scripture. And, you know, I've invited someone to the church. I don't know if you recognize him or not, but he, he was here for the first service and it's the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I'm counting on the fact that at some point during this service, the Holy Spirit is going to whisper things to you about your life. It may have nothing to do with some of the things that I talk about, but God is always drawing us to him. And so when we have those moments where the Holy Spirit says something to us, it's important to capture it and to write it down. So many of us, you know, I think I went to one too many Grateful Dead concerts, and my memory is pretty much shot. And uh, so, anyway, get your Bibles out, and let's get started and turn to the book of Job, first chapter. Job is kind of the middle of the Old Testament. <clears throat> What a great read this is. If, if you have never read this book, um, this is a must. I think I'd say that about all 66 of the books. But this one is just, uh, I love reading Job. First chapter, uh, sixth and seventh verses. Actually, if you see someone sitting next to you that doesn't have their Bible, let's see if we can share. It's a good thing, right? Sharing. In church, we share. <clears throat> now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth. Upon it. I want you to hold that thought and then I want you to turn about 30 pages or 40 pages back to 2 Chronicles, the 16th chapter. Are you ready? 16th chapter, verse 9. <clears throat> 
For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. You see a similarity? Did you see, remember the, the last verse? This is where Satan was. He was walking to and fro amongst the earth. So we have Satan and it says walking to and fro among the earth. And then we have the eyes of the Lord. It actually says running. His eyes are running. I think it's an interesting use of, of that word of, of the love of God, the desire for God to capture us, the desire for God to find a people, to find a person whose heart is willing to embrace him. When he finds a person like that, then he does wondrous and marvelous things. Today, I am one of those things because 35 years ago, the Lord found me. So what you have here is, is, a, is, is a struggle. It's a struggle going on. And there's the Lord wanting to find us and to meet us and to deposit things into our lives. And then you have Satan wanting to do what he does. And I don't think we really think about this enough. And that's kind of what I'm going to try to do this morning is to get you to think about this a little bit. I want to say that the struggle is fierce. It's, it's subtle, and sometimes we don't really realize what's going on in our lives. Sometimes it's not really obvious. We're not going out necessarily and committing some you know, heinous crime it's a lot of times it's smaller things. It's things that capture our affections, things that capture our time, things that we all of a sudden build our life upon and we hardly even know that we're doing it. And I'll tell you a story in a little bit. So there's a recruitment process going on in our midst, once we walk out these doors. I know many of you are here at the 11 o'clock service trusting that the sermon is going to be over before the beginning of the Laker game at 5 o'clock this afternoon. <clears throat> you have faith. There are so many things that pull at our lives. Sports is a real obvious one. I wrote down a couple of things on this sheet of paper. You know how many sporting events there are? If we took our calendar out and we charted how many choices we have to sit in front of the TV and watch an athletic contest, we had one of those fancy satellites where we could get all kinds of stations for all, from all over the country. I would imagine, you know, there, we could watch 25 games every day. We could never leave the couch. Some of you husbands may not be that far away from leaving the couch. I hope not. <clears throat> so 
there's just so many sports. Like I, I wrote a list of just a few of them. And it was like football, basketball, baseball, soccer, volleyball, track and field, softball, lacrosse, tennis, golf, badminton, ping pong, swimming, diving, water polo, horse racing, fishing, pool, poker. Poker's on ESPN now. <clears throat> so none of these things are, are evil or wrong. You know, if you're, if you're a godly man, then you don't play ping pong. You know, you get that that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying something else. There is something wrong when you're playing ping pong, whoops, and you're neglecting something else in your life. Then something's wrong. There is something wrong when your affections, when your joy is tied up in something other than the Lord. You're then settling for something a lot less. How about this? Christmas season, the, uh, the bowl games. The Alamo Bowl, the Armed Forces Bowl, the BCS Bowl, the Capital One Bowl, the Champ Sports, the Chick-fil-A, the Cotton, the Emerald, Fiesta, GMAC, Gator, Hawaii Holiday, Humanitarian Bowl, I've never even heard of that one. Independence, Las Vegas, Liberty, on and on. 32 bowls, bowl games, all in all. 254 or some odd NFL football games. All competing for our attention. And that's just sports. Some of you, you know, could care less about sports. If anyone wants a copy of this, they can come see me after. <clears throat> what about our looks? What about how much time we spend fixing ourselves up, wanting to look a certain way? And who is it that determines what we're supposed to look like? I always wonder at that. You know, where is it that you know, my pants are supposed to be a certain way or the shirt I'm wearing or the shorts are supposed to be sagging? You know, as you get older you kind of hold on to your old clothes because every 20 years it kind of comes back and then it's, you know, my, I don't know how many times my sons would look at me and say, Dad, you're not going to wear that shirt. Now they're wearing the same exact shirt. It's wearing that shirt 25 years ago. And they were making fun of me. I'll tell you a little story. <clears throat> Last March, I did something I'd never done in my life. I went to... Ghana in West Africa <clears throat> with Johnny and friends. It was the most impacting thing, I think, one of the most impacting things I'd ever done. We gave out 220 wheelchairs and we gave out crutches and walkers to people who lived in shacks and huts and people who literally crawled on their hands and knees to get where we were for the the hope of getting a wheelchair. And to see them and to see the kids and to look into their eyes and to play with them and, and to say, you know, there, there's no difference between me and them. There's nothing that's different. They laugh, they smile, they're sad, they're happy. They, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not any less than I am. And so, you know, you just you have this amazing thing that happens inside of you when you go and you actually see it. I hope everyone 
gets to do that at a certain point of your life. And don't wait until you're 55. Do it as soon as you can, as young as you can go. It'll make a, a lasting impact. Well, anyway, I got home from this two-week trip, and it was, it was incredible. You know, I got sick, and, you know, all kinds of things happened. And, but it was, it, was, it was amazing. Well, I got home one day, and I'm, I'm walking into my closet. <clears throat> my wife and I have a nice home in Northridge. <clears throat> I walk into my closet, and I, I'm the type of guy that I like to have things, you know, nice and organized. I got like my t-shirts over here and then my short sleeve shirt, golf shirts over here and then my button down short sleeve and then my long sleeve and then my pants, you know, and everything's like nice and orderly. <clears throat> and so I looked at my pants and I went like, wow, I got a lot of pants. So some of you don't have a lot of experience with Jewish people. I, I told you I'm Jewish, right? And Jewish people like to count things. I'm always counting things. I'm always counting how many seats are in here and how many cars are in the parking lot. And uh, so I'm going to count my pants. How many pairs of pants I have. So I counted them. Francis, by the way, thinks this is the greatest story he ever heard. I think that's why he asked me to speak. <laughs> I say, great, Francis, I'm going to be known as the pants guy at Cornerstone. In fact, I was thinking of bringing some of them and just kind of throwing them out into the... So, you really think I'm going to tell you how many pairs of pants I have? It's pretty embarrassing. I have... You guys didn't hear that over here? You didn't hear that? You come back for the 5 o'clock service and you'll find out that. I have 75 pairs of pants. That's the same sound I heard when you saw my grandchildren. So, you know, I just, that's embarrassing. Now, let me defend myself a little. I don't throw a lot of them away and they're usually bought for $39 or whatever. But still, 75 pairs of pants. I just spent two weeks with people who were lucky to have one pair. And so I said to myself, I'm sitting there like, how did I get like this? How did I, how do you get to the place where after you own 70 pairs? <laughs> that you can go to the store and think nothing of buying number 71 <laughs> and number 72. And there's a green one. I don't have one of those. Let me get one of those. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad. You know what I mean? It's sad that I got caught. I, I don't know how it happened. I don't know when it happened. It was one of these things, again, that just kind of happens to us. It's the current of our culture. It's the current that advertises and tries to convince us that we need to look a certain way or we need to own a certain car or we need to, we need to buy a certain blouse or our shorts need to be a certain length. Who is it that's making up these rules? 
And so, so the point of the matter isn't the number that we have. The point of the matter is, where is the sensitivity to what God wants in my life? So you mean to say, Ron, that, that you need to get permission from God to buy a pair of pants? Well, I'll tell you what, I haven't bought a pair since that little moment in the closet. And I said, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, you know, I'm going to name a, a couple of things that are like that. And, you know, sometimes we think that God is only after us, you know, in the big, you know, some, you know, who, or house am I going to buy or what, you know, what. You know what it is? It's a series of being willing to be yielded to him in all the areas of our lives. You know, I love to play golf. My kids love to play golf. Three boys and a dad. It's, you know, last two years ago for Father's Day, they said, Dad, let's, for Father's Day, let's go play golf together. They said, we'll bring the tees and you pay for the golf. <laughs> So, our attitude, this struggle of what's, what's it really mean to live a godly life? What's it really mean to be surrendered to the Lord? What's it really mean to, to, to walk with Jesus and want him to really fill our hearts? Did you hear the end of that second verse in Chronicles? It says, the Lord... The eyes of the Lord are running to show himself strong in us. He wants to be strong in us. He wants, he wants us to, to walk in faith, to walk in confidence, to be able to, to do things with our lives that have purpose and have value. But if we're busy watching television, and if we're busy buying pants, and if we're doing all this other stuff. You know what happens to the, the temperature of our spiritual life? It falls. And that's why so many of us are so... I don't know, is it okay that... Because I'm, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to us. We can get shallow because we're not coming to the well and drinking from the water of life, the Word of God. We're not... We're not seeking God to, and asking him and thirsting for him to move in our lives. So that's the battle. That's the cultural thing that's going on. These things, these fashion things, these things that we're all facing as we go outside, they can suffocate the life of God right out of us. Where, where our, our walk with the Lord comes down to an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And the rest of the week, what's going on? What's going on in our lives? Let's see what Jesus had to say about this topic. Turn with me to Matthew, the sixth chapter. By the way, <clears throat> I know the game starts at five, so I'll make sure I have you out of here by four. <clears throat> Oops, I almost 
read the wrong verse. <clears throat> Chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your treasure this morning? What is, the, what is it that gets you excited? What is it that drives you in the morning, during the week? I have the incredible privilege of being on the board of directors of Johnny and Friends and getting to see this, this amazing woman on a regular basis. And I love to hear her speak. I never get tired of hearing her describe the difficulty that it is for her to get up in the morning. 41 years in a wheelchair. <clears throat> 41 years of having someone come into your bedroom and have to wash you and dress you and clothe you. And she says, so many times I've heard her say, you know, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I don't have a smile. I don't feel like being friendly to the person that's coming. And it's at that point that she says, Lord, I need a smile. I need your smile. I need your spirit to walk in, to move in my life. You know, she, about 10 or 11 years ago, I believe, it could have been longer, she went to Ghana and uh, when she arrived in Ghana, <clears throat> she was met by a pastor. And the pastor said, Johnny, welcome to Ghana, where our God is bigger than yours. And Johnny was a little, ooh, what's that all about? And so she said, Pastor, what do you mean by that? And so he said, God is biggest where people need him the most. God shows up when there's a desire and when there's a hunger. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So what, what this morning I hope is about, it's, it's about getting us to realize what's going on around us. Whether we know it or not, there is a battle for my attention, there's a battle for my emotions, there's a battle for my dollars. There's a battle for my time. And I've decided that for the rest of my days, for as many as I have, I want to I wanna live a life that's, that's worthy of the Lord. Worthy of the cross. Worthy of the blood of Jesus that was shed so that I could have life, so that you could have life. I want to live. I want to give back to him. I have a little, um, have a little movie clip that I want to play for you. So if we would dim the lights down, um, I want you to watch this with me.
we have written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it. Had regret 
even though he did so much, he experienced regret. I don't want to have regret. You know, the Lord has invested so much in us. I don't know how to express what it feels like to go from the picture of that young man to this 56-year-old man. It's not by it's not by any intelligence. It's not by anything that I did. It's not by luck. It's because I placed my life in his hands. It's because when I read the scripture, I believed it. And I believed it for every day. Not just for a moment. One of my favorite verses of scripture reminds me of my childhood. Growing up in a Jewish home, we didn't go to temple really for holidays, but we went sometimes for bar mitzvahs and for weddings. And anytime I read this verse, it takes me back in time. It's called the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. I didn't believe that as a boy. I didn't even know what it meant. I know what it means now. I know when I'm giving my heart, and I know when I'm not. And I don't, want to, I don't want to have regret. When I stand before God on the judgment day, he's just not going to be interested in any of the stories I tell about my hobbies. I want to look in his eye and, and say, I, I gave you my life, and you, you made it into something so far greater than anything I could have imagined. 2 Corinthians, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things that God has for those that love him. Let me close with one more verse in Jeremiah. If you want to turn with me, you can. Jeremiah, the 29th verse. This is a favorite verse that I hear so many people quoting, and yet I usually only hear the beginning of the verse. I like the end of it. <clears throat> Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you.
and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. As Jim and the team comes up, I'm going to close in a minute. I hope you, you see that I'm not talking about things. I'm talking about the treasures, the things that we really feel strongly about inside. And I hope that over the course of this 30 minutes or 45 minutes or so, that the Holy Spirit has whispered some things to you. Remember in the beginning, Satan was walking to and fro amongst the earth. And when he got to Job, he tried to destroy Job. And then the eyes of the Lord are running, running, searching, looking for those of us who will say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Let's bow our heads. Would you consider with me this morning what are the things in our lives that have crowded our relationship with God over to the side? It's probably different things for many of us. Would you make a note in your heart this morning to say, I'm going to give this over to the Lord. I'm going to make a change in my life today. Jesus is worth it. Lord, I pray that that would take place in our lives and our hearts and that you would continue to make us into bigger and bigger people as the days and years go by.